I had uh, some things I wanted to share last week that I didn't get to that helped me put basically a part two of that message together. But uh, we'll be talking about the rich young ruler a little bit more, but we're really going to be talking about the short, uh, the short rich tax collector today. Another guy, you know. Uh, yeah, Zacchaeus, that's right. Uh, Zacchaeus, uh, what's his next words that come after that? Was a wee little man. You all know, you guys got to know your Bible verses. If you know your little kid songs, you got to know your Bible verses too, amen? Because it doesn't say he was a wee little man. It does say he was small. He was short of stature. We're going to be looking at him in a little bit. And I didn't even have the title for my message. I was going to call it the rich young ruler part two. And I got up there and uh, it was a, uh, Caleb who's up there at the front. And by the way, he could use some relief, you know, because he's coming all the way from Ventura area, driving out here, and we're in, uh, this is not even, I didn't, we don't think we put the bullet in anything, but uh, he's coming out here and then he's missing Sunday services. But he's trying to can't come on Wednesday because he works on Wednesday nights. So it'd be great. Uh, uh, the rotation got kind of messed up. Jim, are you back on that rotation yet with him? Okay, Jim's back. We wait. We think if we get one more guy, did another person step up yet? I haven't really announced it, so probably not, right? So uh, if there's somebody else that wants to step up and, and be in that rotation, preferably someone who is, you know, excited about God's word and excited about meeting people and getting them taped or CDs and stuff like that or messages, you know, that would be awesome. So just talk to uh, Jim Murphy, uh, who kind of runs that with, with uh, Caleb, great brothers, and it'll be awesome. So pray about it, man, you know. And hey, Caleb, you can come in here if no one's out there, brother. Love you, bro. <laughs> we don't want you to congregate out there. The saddest thing in the world is that people come to Blessed Hope Chapel, and then you, and instead of coming here in the Word, you talk to three or four people during the message out there. You're keeping them from the Word too. Okay, I'm just letting you know. I love you, and sometimes you have to do it. Maybe you're going through some crisis, set up some counseling or something. But uh, some and don't. And, and if you say, "Man, I can't believe I just did that," no. If you're not in the habit of it, that's one thing. But if you're in the habit of just going out there and hanging out during the message to just chat with people, you can chat anytime. Amen. Okay. Wow, this is time to get things off my chest, man. <laughs> uh, we just, you know, we love you guys, but we just want to grow and and have optimum uh, planning of God's word. Amen. All right, and no, I can't see out there through my Bible or something. I don't know who's out there right now, but uh, praise the Lord. But sometimes Caleb has to man that station for a while. Anyway, love you guys, and uh, when I got up to Caleb, I was going to say Rich Young Ruler Part 2 and hit my heart. I thought, you know what? People are going to see Part 2, and they might not even grab it. And I want a message that someone can get blessed by and maybe grab because they see the title. So right there, I just, ah, the, the rich, you know, short tax collector. I said, write that down. So he did it. Yeah, because he was a rich guy and he's a, sh a short guy and it emphasizes him being short for a certain reason. Uh, and he was a tax collector. Uh, so, but I want you to go to first to Luke chapter 18 because there's some unfinished business we had in regard to talking about the rich young ruler. Uh, a couple points I made really quick, but I want to kind of get into him a little bit more because this passage comes right before chapter 19, of course, where Luke, by the Holy Spirit, is led to tell us about the rich, young, or rich, <laughs> young, well, I don't want to say young, but the, you know, rich, short tax collector. And they're in juxtaposition to one another for a very important reason, because there's a huge contrast between the two men and their uh, response to the Lord Jesus Christ. But in chapter 18, verse 1, it says a ruler question. Uh, 
a, a, a ruler questioned him, saying, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He wants to know how to have eternal life. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Okay. Now you have two options here. Either Jesus isn't good or he's God. Means one or the other, right? Well, we went through a ton of scriptures last week and we saw over and over and over again and over and over and over and over again that the scriptures tell us that Jesus was and is what? Perfect. And of course, there's a ton of other scriptures that say he is God. And he's basically, I believe, emphasizing, do you realize who you're talking to here and what's on the line here? And Jesus himself is the resurrection and the life. And then we're in chapter 18, Luke chapter 18, verse 18, yep. Good to see you, Diane. Praise the Lord. How are you? She had a rough time with COVID, but here you are. You look great. You sound great. Thank you, Jesus. Keep, keep her in prayer. So got the oxygen there, but you're not breathing hard, which is awesome to see. Praise God. No, I know you, you know, uh, Omicron doesn't so much invade the lungs, but the variant that you had obviously did, you know, and that can be very dangerous. And they, by the way, said she wasn't going to survive just like they told me. And they actually were sending her home to go on hospice. Yes, yes. They said you were going to send her to hospice to die. And praise God, people like Mark intervened and said, what in the world? No, you know, right? No, she's got a chance at life, man, and fought for you, and we all been praying for you. So, so good to see you. Praise the Lord. Amen. The Lord is good. Let God be true in every man a liar. Amen. Sometimes the doctors are right, and, but they're practicing medicine. They don't know it fully yet. They're still practicing. Okay. So Jesus is a great physician. And so we praise God for our doctors and those in the medical community. But always make sure you seek first the Lord. Amen. And then praise God for the doctors and medicine. But you got to be careful and prayerful and wise about you know, what you put in your body. But thank God, because God's had a lot of those guys in the front lines doing a lot of wonderful things. So in, anyways, it's interesting because he wants to know how to inherit true life. And then Jesus goes on to say, because God, these guys are under the law. Keep in mind Zacchaeus, who we'll be looking at a little bit too. He's under the law. Jesus is addressing people under the law. There's a transition taking place from the old covenant law into the new covenant because Jesus, who is the high priest of the new covenant, is on the scene. The Messiah has come to pay for our sins, amen, and save us by his grace through faith. But this man knows the law and uh, he is self-righteous and he thinks he can be saved by doing all the right things. And Jesus basically let him know that, guess what? You are not gonna be able to be saved through keeping the law. In fact, he needs to know he's a sinner who truly needs Jesus and needs to know who Jesus is, the God-man, as the Messiah. And if he follows him, he will discover those things. So Jesus said to him in verse 19, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Verse 20, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. And by the way, do you think he kept those things all perfectly? One thing you still lack. Sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor. And you shall have treasure in heaven. And come what? Follow me. That's the key. Amen. He needs to follow Jesus. Verse 23. But when he had heard these things, he became very sad for he was what? Extremely rich. 
He was extremely rich. So it's interesting because uh, I went into it. So we're not going to go into all these scriptures I went into last week, but I went into the fact that he was breaking the very first of the Ten Commandments, which states that thou shalt not have any what? God's before him, right? And what God did he have before the Lord? His possessions, mammon, money. Jesus says you can't serve both God and mammon. If you hate the one and love the other, you love the one and hate the other. Amen. By the way, good to see you, Patty, back there. She's got her little baby. That's exciting. Or grandbaby, but they're still our grandchildren. So our children in the sense that our grandchildren. Congratulations. Uh, she's visiting us from uh, way back, way, way out there in uh, Idaho. Love you. Put her on the spot so she's hiding around the ba- behind the baby. But uh, good to see you. I'm sh- I'll see you after service, too. So one of my sisters. Praise the Lord. So it's interesting that we have this text here because, ooh, and there's Robbie. Thanks for drumming, bro. We, we love your drumming, brother. We love you. Man, anybody else going to pop up? He just popped around the corner. And there's Megan. Hi, Megan. We, t- we text back and forth. Love you, Meg. Where's Jesse? Jesse, can you come up here and give a speech? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Good to see you, buddy. Miss you. Love you, bro. Just got to visit them a couple months back. Uh, you guys. This is so incredible because Jesus is basically letting them know, and this is important for all of us, that we can think, man, we can earn our salvation, we can do it, we're doing it right, and that's how most of the world thinks. When we share the gospel with people, I always ask them, you know, often always ask them, why would God let you into his kingdom? And they almost always say, because I'm a good person. And then they start telling me good things they've done and why God's going to let them into heaven. God does not let you into heaven based on how good you are, because nobody could get to heaven based on how good you are. Why? Because no one's good enough. Because the Bible says what? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. See, it's not just Zacchaeus that was short. We're all short. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Amen? The word for sin, there's different words for sin in the New Testament. One means debt because we're in debt to God because we fall short of his glory and we owe him righteousness. And one of the words, harmatia, it's used of someone, you know, firing an arrow and missing the bullseye. And the bullseye is God's glory. We fall short of his glory, what he's called us to. And we fall short of being perfect by far. Amen? So each and every one of us, and it's important that you understand this, when we stand before God, if we stand before him in our own righteousness, the Bible says our own righteousness is like what before God? Like filthy rags. And by the way, the original means basically kotex, you know, or, or rag, or a, what a woman would use. That's what it's, that's the word. That's God's graphic sometimes because he wants to understand our problem. It's like holding, you know, your rags before God, saying, hey, accept me based on this, and God, and our blood is unclean. Amen? Because we're fallen. God says, you're not going to get in because you deserve judgment, and you owe me righteousness. So we can't be saved based on how good we are. We're saved by Jesus paying the debt on the cross. Amen. When Jesus went on the cross, one of his seven sayings was, he cried out, Tetelestai, which means what? Paid in full. He paid the price for your sins. So guess what? Either you're going to accept his payment, listen, for your sins on the cross, or you're going to pay it yourself. And if you reject the sacrifice Christ made and his grace that he offers you, then you're going to be separated from God for eternity in Christless hell. Amen. So we must embrace Jesus Christ. But what the problem is, is a lot of people don't, they want to think of themselves as righteous, you know? 
They want to think of themselves as being great. But, and when you compare yourself to others, yeah, you can always find people that you're better than. But people aren't the standard, amen? And God doesn't grade on a curve, amen? God is the standard. Jesus says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Peter said, be holy as he is holy. And the Bible says, the soul that sins shall die. Amen? And that all of sin comes short of the glory of God, and the wage of sin is death. So what Jesus is doing here is he's letting this guy know. He's saying, I did all these things since I was young, Jesus. Man, check me out. And Jesus is like, no, you know, let's check you out. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and follow me. Ooh, and he was very sad because he was very rich. And he's a young guy, man. He probably had his whole life plotted out about what I'm going to do with my money and all the riches I've got. And guess what, man? He's losing out on all the riches. He's not going to be able to keep those riches because he's not going to heaven and he can't take it with him. And he's not going to have the heavenly riches. Very, very sad situation. And by the way, he is an idolater because he's putting his riches before God. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 3, greed is idolatry. It says put off these certain things. It mentions greed, which is idolatry. That's why Jesus said you can't serve God and mammon. Mammon's the word for money. You have to put Jesus first. And he says, and follow, come follow me. So if he, if he repents of his rebellion against God and follows Christ, he won't be practically perfect in his life all of a sudden christ will certainly change his life amen and he'll become more and more uh, righteous but if he turns to jesus and puts his faith in jesus then he'll be saved just like we look back to what jesus did on the cross and we look back to the messiah and we look to him now in the present because he's with us and he reigns from heaven uh in the old testament they were looking forward to the messiah and that's how they were saved in his coming well now in the present when he is in the first century, there he is before this man. If he puts his trust in Jesus as Messiah, he won't fully understand his death yet, right? But his faith will be credited to him as Abraham's was for righteousness. And when Jesus dies on the cross, his sins will be paid for like everybody else's, but he will actually receive the forgiveness of, of his sins. The problem is, is this man doesn't follow Jesus because we see, when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich yeah and I always tell you that saying I love to use with my kids or grandkids now if you're bad you're sad if you're not bad you're glad very simple practical teaching that they can get their brains around and they always know it and I, I always have fill in the blanks now you know and you know I you know I just Hey, Eli, not that it's always Eli, sometimes it, he's, get, he's so much better than, he's, he's growing. Eli, if you're bad, you're, it's because he's already grumpy because he got in trouble. If you're sad. <laughs> if you're not bad, you're, you're glad, you know. And then, you know, we have that little talk, you know. And uh, it goes for us adults too, you know. We do our own thing, man. He's, this guy became very sad. If you live for money, you'll be sad in the end. If you leave, live for the Lord, you'll be glad now and forevermore. And I love this. In verse 24, and Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. He's looking at him saying this. 
For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Wow. They who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, the things that are impossible with people are what? Possible with God. And we talked last week, and we went through more of the text that follows. So I'm not going to get into all that. I want to use this more as a springboard so you see the contrast and have this be fresh in your mind. Is, is this gentleman here was in dire straits. And, and it's like, way, you know, it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven than it is for the camel through the eye of a needle. What a power. Jesus was the master. Of, he's God in the flesh. He's the best teacher ever. He's a master of word pictures. And it's such a, a powerful picture. And yet, well, then it's then. But then he follows up and saying, but all things are what? Possible with God. And thank God, because I told you right now, if you have a transportation and you have a modern home that you're living in and you have clothes and so forth, you're a lot richer than this rich man. You better hope, you know, that there's a way, amen. And there is a way. He is the way, amen. But what keeps the rich man from coming to Jesus, we talked about this, so I don't want to spend too much time on it, is when you have all kinds of riches, you feel like what? You don't need anything, amen? That's why, and you know if you like to witness, and I love to show the gospel with people, when you witness to people on the streets, and you know, it's the people that have all kinds of stuff that will tune you out the fastest. You go share the gospel in a very rich neighborhood. Uh, no thanks, you know. You go share the gospel among the poor, pff, eyes get real big. That, that's why James, in, in, the book of, in his epistle, talks about salvation with regard to the poor. Think of the rich man and Lazarus, you know. But I mentioned last time, Nicodemus, Abraham, Job, all these men were pretty rich, but they still entered the kingdom. But it's, the key is putting Jesus first. And if, you're, if you've got a lot of money and you're putting Jesus first, if you're truly putting Jesus first, in 2 Timothy or 1 Timothy chapter 6, it talks about instructing those who are rich in this world to share their riches with others. Then you're going to be a giving person if you're following Jesus. You're going to be advancing the kingdom of God and so forth. Now, I mentioned too, and this is what I couldn't really get into last time so much, is there's a dangerous lie going around right now that is deceiving potentially millions and millions of professing believers. And it's the idea that you don't have to turn to Jesus in repentance. That you don't have to repent and turn to Christ. That you can accept him as your savior, but reject him as your Lord and say, no, I'm accepting your salvation, but you're not there going to be Lord of my life. And you'll still be saved. That you could be a blasphemer, Jesus hater, as far as your practice goes, but as long as you've accepted Jesus as your Savior in the past sometimes and made some kind of decision at an altar call or when you were a little kid, that you're saved no matter what you do. And that being, believing in Jesus and being a disciple are two different things. Being a disciple or a follower of Christ is optional. This is very, very popular today. It's, it's taught uh, by different groups. In the, you, know, you have uh, guys that are called you know, part of what's called the hyper-grace movement. Some of them will even call themselves hyper-grace. Paul Ellis, uh, Joseph Prince. Now, you see Joseph Prince? He's got 30,000-member church in Singapore. His name is not, I can't even pronounce his real name, but he changed it to Joseph Prince. He's like a pop star on stage, you know? 
and he constantly talks about the grace of the Lord, but not the warnings. Paul said, consider therefore the goodness and the severity of God. But they cherry-picked the scripture because Paul warned in the last days, he said to Timothy, preach the word in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust, their own desires, they'll heap themselves many teachers who'll tickle the ears and tell them what they want to hear. And they'll be turned from the truth to lies or fables or myths. And right now, I mean, we're going to be going through the churches at the men's retreat. Seven churches. Those guys wouldn't dare go through the churches because you know what? In seven churches, repentance is mentioned eight times. And five of the seven churches are told to repent. But they act like repentance isn't for the church and that you don't have to confess your sin after you become a Christian. And these guys are called hypergrace. And then you have this you know, strong dispensationalist out of Dallas Theological Seminary. It's called the Free Grace Movement where it's not the Joseph Prince group. It's another group that's been going on for decades now. And you can go back to Schaefer and you can go back to Charles Ryrie. Some of you might have had the Ryrie Study Bible when it first came out years ago if you're a little bit older. And, and you know, their whole deal with Wilkins and others is, is many of them teach you don't have to repent or that repentance is optional, same thing. In fact, I was just reading something recently on one of their pages on how similar they are to the hypergrace movement with Joseph Prince. And these guys, many of these guys, when they go to the rich young ruler, they teach, no, this, you don't, this man didn't have to turn and follow Jesus to actually be saved. This is just about discipleship. It's a higher calling that has nothing to do with salvation. This is serious stuff, guys. You know why? Because there's millions of people hearing this, and many of them, guess what they're doing? Living their lives, thinking they're saved, going to church, but living wicked lives. Don't think they have to repent. Don't think they need to choose Jesus Christ as their Lord. They think discipleship is an option and I don't really need to do that. I just won't get certain rewards, but I'll get into heaven. Do you realize how serious of a lie that is? I mean, Jesus said what? On the judgment day, many will say to me, what? Lord, Lord. But they didn't. But he said, they'll de he'll say, depart from me, right? Why? Because he said, you did not do the will of the Father. They didn't line up with the Father's will. This is such a serious thing, you guys. And you're going to run into it over and over again. I had a gal that fell into some of that teaching. Uh, and, you know, I've dealt with different people that have gotten into that teaching. I can think of a couple people off the top of my head. And then uh, she wrote me sometime later. And she said, Joe, she said, I want to say, I found out in the long run that what you've been preaching all along was the biblical way. And I got off in some wrong stuff, you know. And... There's a number of people that I can think of that I know. Uh, not a whole lot of them, but, and, and if you go here, you're typically not going to fall into that, right? Because we warn about a lot of false teaching here. And the reason we do is because I know what's on the radio. I know when you turn on TBN, you're going to see Joseph Prince, you know? I know when you go to the internet, you're going to see the teachings of Paul Ellis or Zane Hodges or Wilkins, you know? These two different movements, which basically... Uh, it, Joseph Prince is, by, is largely in the, in the Pentecostal and charismatic churches. Well, guess what? The Pentecostal churches never believed anything like that, you know? But many of them, and he's also a, a prosperity teacher as well, Joseph Prince. Gives credit to Hagen and the, the granddaddy of the health and wealth name and claim it crowd, you know? So this is very, very dangerous teaching and by the way, their whole stick is that God wants you to be wealthy and everything else. So, you know, why? And, and like I said, it's not that you can't have wealth. God can bless you, but he wants you to use it to his glory. 
and he wants to make sure, and you know how you, you know if you're putting Jesus first? If you could walk away from it in a second, you know, and just put Jesus first. You better be doing that in your heart all the time. Amen. So this is important stuff. And by the way, so when it comes to the rich young ruler, they say, ah, you know, nah, uh-uh, this isn't. In fact, I told you, and I closed the last message by saying Josiah, when he was on a mission trip in the Philippines, we sent him and we looked at the statement of faith because he just wanted to go off on his own and just serve Jesus for a while. He said, you guys pick a spot. And it was hard to find a group we trusted, but this group seemed so trustworthy because they even had repentance in their, you know, statement of faith and what they believed and so forth. Yet when Josiah was preaching repentance, he got rebuked by the leader of the movement who was out there. And he got shunned to a degree for a little bit. And he said, you can't tell people to repent. Really, Jesus in Luke chapter 24, when he gave the Great Commission and told them to go to all the different nations, he said, and preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus said, unless you repent, you all likewise what? Perish. Peter said, God doesn't will that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance, 2 Peter 3.9. Okay? Repentance is part of faith. You can't have true faith without repentance, and you can't have true repentance without faith. They're two sides of the same coin, which describe turning from a life of rebellion to God to Christ, okay? Now, repentance is a change of heart, a change of mind, which leads to a change of lifestyle and behavior. The change of your lifestyle and behavior and how you begin living is a fruit of repentance, okay? You're not saved after you clean your life up. You're saved by grace when you turn in your heart to Christ from that broad road that leads to hell. But what's being told people is you don't have to turn from the broad road that leads to lake of fire. Just believe in your mind that Jesus Christ is the Savior and he died for your sins. So the idea is you can stay on the broad road that leads to destruction, head into the lake of fire, and just believe with mental assent in your brain, yep, Jesus died for me, and stay on that road. In fact, one of the top leaders, not sure if it's Zane Hodges or it's Wilkins, his protege, uh, states that, well, it's just like believing that George Washington is president. You just have to believe Jesus died for you. Well, you know how many people believe that George Washington is president, was president? Yeah, a ton, right? You know how many people believe that Jesus is the Savior and he died, but they haven't turned to him yet? Do we believe that they're saved? James says faith without works is what? Dead. That's demon faith. J- James says even the demons believe and tremble. At least they have some evidence of their, of their faith. They tremble at least, but they're not saved. So this is very, 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 very serious stuff because you, are, you ought to, as a believer, know what's going on in the body of Christ and know what you need to stand against and not just make sure you're in the clear and you're trusting and following Jesus, but we should have hearts for those who are caught up in these lies and praying for their repentance, amen? Now, there's people that probably believe this, that were taught this, that are truly trusting Jesus, have truly repented their sins or following him, that are saved because they're following Jesus. But those who are teaching these heresies, I would not want to be next to them when they stand before God. Amen. So, by the way, well, rich young ruler has really nothing to do with salvation. It's not talking about, you know, following Jesus to be saved because you don't have to follow Jesus to be saved. By the way, when Jesus described his sheep, right? The ones who never, who don't, won't perish, right? The ones who no one can snatch them out of his hands. In chapter 10, verse 27, he said, his sheep hear his voice. And they what? They follow me. Jesus' sheep follow him. Amen? If you're not following him, you're claiming to be a sheep, you're a goat or a wolf in sheep's clothing. Amen? So it's very, very important. 
Jesus said, my sheep follow me. By the way, follow is in, in the Greek, hear, they hear my voice. Hear is in the present tense, present continuous tense. Follow is in the present continuous tense. They follow, they continue to follow me. Okay, now the Bible does warn in Hebrews chapter three that you can harden your, your heart and not hear the voice of the Holy Spirit because of sin and fall away from living God. So it's key that you are a sheep and that the sheep are those who what? If you're gonna be a sheep, you need to continue to follow Jesus, amen? Now, the crazy thing is when you look at the text and you find the rich young ruler teaching in the, all three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And when you compare them, you see Jesus is definitely talking about eternal life. In, in Matthew 19, listen to this, verses 16 and 17. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus said, there's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. It's like, well, wait, I thought you, yeah, he's basically letting them know, hey, take a crack at that. If you really think you can be 100% obedient by keeping the law, then do it. But no one can, right? And the law we talked about last week is a tutor that leads us to who? It leads us to Christ. So we realize, man, I can't keep God's law even close to perfectly. I need to be saved. That's why Jesus says, Give up everything you have, sell it, and follow me. You need to get rid of your idol and follow me and put your trust in me. And then he'll, they'll find out, as I mentioned earlier, he'll understand eventually the gospel and he'll be saved through faith even before he, uh, even if, as he trusts Jesus initially. Mark 10, 17. Now it's in here, the gospel of Mark, the rich young ruler again. And Jesus started on his way and a man ran up to him and fell on his knees. Before I'm a good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Okay. Matthew 19, so that's Matthew uh, uh, 19, 16 and 17, Mark 10, 17. Matthew 19, verse 23 and 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is harder for rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than the uh, disciples, uh, than the camel through the, or a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. When the disciples heard this, he says, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? saved? You see what's going on here, guys? Matthew 10, Mark 10, 23. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. You notice the synonyms of, the, of salvation there. It's called entering the kingdom of God. It's called eternal life, getting eternal life, right? It's called what else? Being saved, amen? How could you look at this text and honestly say it has nothing to do with turning to Jesus to be saved and following him and that following him is a prerequisite of salvation. You can't do that. Yet what happens is these guys entrench themselves thinking that they're free to be in rebellion to God and teaching others that and still be saved and then when they go to any text that contradicts it, they find ways to explain it away instead of bowing before Jesus and that, my brothers and sisters, is a form of idolatry. When you're willing to change God's word to save a pet doctrine, that's a serious, serious thing before God. Especially when your teaching wasn't around for the first 1,500 years of church history. And barely around. It started to come up in Luther's day a bit, with, uh, but barely. And now it became very popular in this last 60, 70 years of church history. And it's interesting because right in the text before us, in the text before us, uh, like bookends, it's kind of a trip. Look at verse 24 and 25. And Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom, enter the, enter the kingdom of God? 
For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Okay? Verse 26. They who heard it said, then who can be what? Saved. That's the question. And if you go up to the very beginning, verse 18, because I said it's like bookends. Verse 18, a ruler questioned him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to what? Inherit eternal life. Guys, it starts off with the question of how do I inherit eternal life? It ends with entering the kingdom of God and with how can the man be saved? And Jesus doesn't say, oh, no, no, no. You disciples, you totally missed what I was talking about with the rich young ruler. Uh, I was just talking about rewards later. Nothing about being saved. You guys are misunderstanding. No, Jesus didn't say anything like that, guys. Because that's not what's going on there. And they say, well, inheriting the kingdom of God is, 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 is really reigning with Christ. And only some people will reign with him. And it's different than salvation, okay? Which is ridiculous when you look at the scriptures on reigning with Christ. All genuine believers will rule with Christ. And this isn't even talking about inheriting salvation or inheriting the kingdom. It talks about entering the kingdom, amen? It talks about being saved, okay? It talks about inheriting eternal life, amen? And you either have, he that has a son has a life, and he that does not have a son does not have a life. 1 John 5, 12. And by the way, when you look at the text and you warn these guys, and what they are is they're, they're antinomians. It's an ancient heresy called antinomianism. Anti means against, and from nomos, no means anti-law. They're, they're against the law of God. And we aren't under the law of the Old Testament, amen? But guess what? We are under the law of Christ. Amen. The Bible says we're not under the, the Old Testament law, but it says that we're under the law of Christ. More than once, by the way. And we're not, we're not under the law of Christ as a means to keep, to earn salvation. It's a guide to show forth our love for Jesus, amen? We're saved by his grace through faith on the cross. Amen. But we can't reject the law of Christ and just live willy-nilly how we want and follow the lust of our flesh, lust of our eyes, and the pride of life and claim that we're saved. And then when you look at all these different texts that warn that the wicked, where Paul, the apostle of grace, warns that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10, right? And he's addressing believers in verse 8. He says, you're defrauding one another, even your brethren. And he warns them about sexual sin. In fact, in verses 15 through 20, he says, if you join yourself with a prostitute, you're joining a member of Christ to her. And you're, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So he's warning genuine believers. And he says, know you not that the unrighteous will not inherit, verses 9 and 10, will not inherit the kingdom of God? Neither fornicators, he mentions, or adulterers, or homosexuals, or drunkards, or revilers, and so forth, extortioners, they won't inherit the kingdom, kingdom of God. He says it real clear. In fact, in chapter 5, and this is why he says this, and why he, he brings up finances there because he's dealing with them defrauding each other, but he deals up sexual sin there because he was just dealing with a guy having sex with his mom in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. A guy's having sex with his father's wife. And Paul hands him over to Satan, right? Why? That his soul may be saved in the day of salvation. He needs to repent. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he repents. Okay? But if he doesn't repent, not in, so let's say, well, inheriting the kingdom of God there, that just means you're going to rule with Christ. You're still saved if you live a wicked life. No, that his soul may be what? Saved. saved. Are you with me? Are you seeing how they go together? Yes. Then when you go to uh, Galatians chapter 5, 19 through 21, Paul gives advice to this, and Paul's the apostle of grace, but he knows his grace teaching is being abused. I call these guys grace changers. 
these false teachers, are grace abusers. They're abusing it. And, and oh, they're champions of grace. They love grace so much. Joe, you got to talk about grace the way they talk about grace. Man, I love. No, they don't love grace. If you love grace, I love my wife, man. So if someone twists things about her, I'll be defensive for her. I'll protect her because I love her. If I don't, if I just, oh, no big deal. Oh, no big deal. I don't really love her. But if you love grace, that's why I love grace so much. I'm so protective of God's grace and the finished work of Christ and what he did on the cross. I hate it when people twist it into a licensed sin. And it's abusing grace. So Paul's vice list. He, so Paul gives vice list over and over again. and says in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 4 through 8, he warns, hey, you know, be imitators of Christ. He says that you are light in the Lord, you know. Don't be, partake, don't be partakers of the wrath of God with the sons of disobedience. Don't go that route. He says, let no one deceive you because you will not inherit the kingdom of Christ. Let no one deceive you with vain words. In other words, even in the first century, there were those who were deceiving people with vain words, telling them that they could live wicked lives and enter the kingdom and inherit the kingdom of God. But the word there is inherit the kingdom of Christ. Oh, what's well, inheritance? It has to do with ruling with Christ. It has nothing to do with salvation. Really? It's contrasted with receiving the wrath of God with the wicked. And true believers that continue to follow Jesus are not appointed to wrath. Amen. God will discipline us, he'll spank us, but he doesn't pour out his wrath on us because he already poured his wrath out on his son for us, amen? amen? He'll spank us, but that's not his wrath, that's his discipline. And then in Galatians 5, Paul gives his vice list again. 19 through 21, he gives three, <laughs> three long verses, you know, those who practice witchcraft, you know, and all kinds of things. He says, know this for certain, as I warned you before, I warn you again. Know it for certain, as I warned you before, I warn you again, that those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Oh, well, that's talking about inheriting the kingdom of God and ruling not salvation. Wrong again. Because in Galatians chapter six, a little bit later, verses seven through nine, Paul says, be not deceived. Because there he gives the works of the flesh. Those who practice them, don't be deceived. Know for certain, uh, I told you this before, I'll tell you again, they won't inherit the kingdom of God. Now, he says, be not deceived in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10 on this issue. In Ephesians 5, he says, let no one deceive with vain words. In Galatians 5, 19 through 21, I got to correct myself. He doesn't say don't be deceived there. He just says, no, for certain, I've told you this before, I tell you again, they won't inherit the kingdom of God. But then he picks up the deception thing a few verses later in chapter 6, verses 7 through 9. And he shows us that those who are living according to the flesh, when he's talking about inherit the kingdom of God, he's talking about salvation. How do we know that? It's about eternal life. Because he says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. He that sows to the flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But he that sows to the Spirit will reap what? Eternal life. And we shall reap if we continue and don't grow weary. So we need to continue in the faith, continue to trust Jesus. And it is about salvation. It was about salvation here. It's about salvation in the epistles. And this breaks my heart because I'm trying to, please get your brain around this, how serious this is. If you were talking to people on the street who were on the verge of coming to Christ and you were witnessing to them and they started to get said about Jesus and they start weeping and saying, we want to be saved, we want to know Jesus and, and you're seeing, wow. And somebody who's a universalist comes up and starts sharing with you, hey, I'm a Christian too. Are you sharing with them? Yeah, can I help? Oh well, yeah, well, they're on the verge of coming to Christ but we're talking. He goes, yeah, by the way, you guys know you're already all children of God, you know? You don't need to be born again. You know, you're already, you're, already, you're already going to heaven, da 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 And all of a sudden, like, wow, you don't have to turn from sin. I mean, not, well, I don't know what this guy's telling you, but, and all of a sudden, would you be a little bit disheartened? Would that guy be in trouble before God? 
Well, guess what? It's the same thing happening in the church. That's why Paul says, be not deceived, be not deceived, be not deceived. You have guys like myself and others who are saying, this is what, preach it right off the page. This is what God's word says, man. We've got to be serious about following Jesus. Amen? And then you have people in the free grace movement and the hyper grace movement and just antinomian all over the place, all over the church today. More people believe this than don't in the church, by the way. That once you're saved, you just do whatever you want. And they come along and say, no, you don't have to abide in Christ. You don't have to persevere in the faith. You don't have to continue. Wow. And one thing, both Reformed and I'm not Reformed in that way, uh, and non-Reformed agree, if you go back to the 1500s, you have to continue in the faith. Even Martin Luther talked about you have to continue in the faith. So this is all Johnny-come-lately false teaching. Oh, yeah, it was starting to rear its ugly head back then. But even Martin Luther was concerned. And he says, in, and I have his commentary, nice big-sized commentary in the book of Galatians, which I went through a lot of that when I was first preaching through Galatians when the Blessed Hope was a brand-new church. And in chapter 5, it's kind of interesting, around verse 13, it talks about those who use the flesh or their freedom as a pretext for the flesh. And Martin Luther says, this is what the devil stirs up among us, is once we begin to understand that we're saved by grace, then he comes in and tries to get us to believe that we could just live according to the flesh and we'll be saved and everything will be fine. Um, he was right. But a lot of times happened since then, the pendulum swung that way where that's common teaching today. He understood that to be heresy back then. This is serious, guys, because you have all kinds of people in the world that aren't getting saved because they believe everybody is already going to heaven. Millions and millions and millions and millions of people believe that. But you have all kinds of people in the church believing that they don't have to repent of their sin. They don't have to confess sin. They don't have to follow Jesus. They don't have to be a disciple, you know. That's optional, and they're saved no matter what they do. And that's why the church is so wicked and pathetic today. And why non-Christians look at Christians and say, they're hypocrites. They live just like we live. But guess what? People ought to be able to see your life and see that you're different. Amen? Now, let's go to the very next chapter, and I want to look at Zacchaeus. Because Zacchaeus, we read about, he's quite an interesting guy, uh, Zacchaeus. I love this guy. Uh, now, when you look at Zacchaeus, chapter 19, uh, verse 1, we see it's juxtaposed to chapter 18, which I had already uh, pointed out. But we read in the first couple of verses, he entered Jericho and was passing through, okay? Jericho was a, a place of a hustle and bustle, uh, and there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. Now notice he isn't just a tax collector. He's a what? Chief, chief tax collector. And he was rich. The chief tax collector was the head of, would be the head of an entire region uh, and responsible for collecting the taxes. And the Romans used Jews because the Jews were closer in proximity. They lived there and they knew who was who and what was what and they knew all, who had what kind of money and what, and what have you. And, but the thing is, he was rich, okay? And that means he was, you know, just, he had a lot of money and guess what? When you have a tax gatherer and he's Jewish and he's rich, uh, typically the implication is, is that he is a thief. In fact, in those days, if you were a tax gatherer, they looked at you in, with such, in such a bad light, you were basically, you know, put with, they basically put you in the same list as murderers and, and adulterers and, and prostitutes and, and thieves, and you were one of them. You were on that list. Yeah. 
okay? In fact, that's why the, the Pharisees got upset with Jesus when he talked to and shared the gospel with the tax gatherers, okay? And he was, so he, he, he was rich, and uh, they were considered, you know, the scum of the earth by many, by many people, okay? Uh, and they were even banned from going to the synagogue. Oh, nope, you're tax gatherer, you're not allowed in the synagogue. That's how they thought of the tax gatherers. And it's quite interesting, they were considered traitors because they were traitors to Rome. They were serving the Romans and lining the pockets of the Romans. And that's quite interesting. And uh, the, You think taxes are bad now? Being a Jew, okay? And you might pay already the Jewish taxes like the temple tax and what have you. But then... Uh, and give gifts to the, the, the poor and help the Jewish people. But then you had the Roman taxes. And, you know, the Roman citizen, just to be in Pax Romana, where the Romans were ruling the world at the time, and being a Jew there, you just, just living, existing, you had to pay tax. You had to pay what was called the, the poll tax. Then you also had to pay import taxes. Then you also had a flat tax, if everybody had a flat tax of 10% of your income. And then you had a ground tax. So if you had grain and so forth, uh, that would be, be, or grapes and so forth, you'd have to pay taxes on your ground. Okay, you had to pay road taxes because the Romans, they were the ones that made, uh, the Grecian language spread all over the civilized world. So a lot of people spoke Greek, but the Romans the ones who built all these roads that connected all the cities. So you had to pay the Roman taxes, the road taxes. You also had to pay harbor taxes if you were fishermen and they would charge you for every fish you caught. Use a tax on every fish. If you had a cart, there was a cart tax, and you had to pay the cart tax according to how many wheels were on your cart. I think I would probably be using a wheelbarrow, you know, a little bit cheaper, right? So you had all these crazy uh, tax laws, and, but if you were the chief taxman, you had a quota that you would have to reach for the Roman Empire, and then guess what your pay could be? Anything that exceeded that quota. So it's very easy for these tax collectors to become corrupt and overtax their own people. Hence, they were considered traitors, okay? That's quite interesting when you think about it. Uh, and it's sad because, you know, the world's corrupt and the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And, and uh, let's go ahead and read verses 3 and 4 now. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was. So he was interested in this tax, this chief tax collector, who Jesus was, and was unable because the crowd, of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. I love it that he just like, he runs ahead, climbs a sycamore tree because he's kind of a small guy. I shouldn't even say kind of, he's a short guy. Now back in those days, you might consider yourself kind of shorter, you probably dwarfed Zacchaeus, okay? Because the average height of a man in the first century, they estimate to be around five feet. The way, the re, the way they're able to do that is because the door, the, the, you know, the, the arches, how high they are. If you've ever visited some of the castles, you know, I visited castles and stuff in Germany and elsewhere, and man, you have to crouch down to just get in it. Uh, the king's bed, that's a, where the king's bed was. It was like, man, that's like your baby's bed. It's kind of a trip. So he might have been around four foot two, Four foot six, Zacchaeus, okay? So you're like a big dude right now if you consider yourself small compared to Zacchaeus, okay? If you transport, if you consider yourself small, if you transport yourself back then, you'd be like, God, that dude's big, man, you know? 
It's all relative. It's kind of funny how that works. So it's interesting. He might have been around four or six. We don't know exactly how tall he was. Verse 5, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for today. I must stay at your house. That's pretty heavy, man. Zacchaeus, think of it this way. He knew his name, man. Jesus passing through Jericho. Zacchaeus. And I think that is really, really heavy because I think it probably shocked him. And Zacchaeus is kind of is coming to repentance, you're going to see. And I didn't read this in any commentary, but I think part of the reason is because he wants to see who Jesus is. I think I thought, it just hit me today when I was just going through the text, kind of meditating on it, thinking about it. I thought, oh, that's interesting. Because I always think, why did he just repent so quick? But then I was really arrested by, he wanted to see who he is. He didn't even really understand who Jesus was totally. And he runs ahead because he can't see him over the crowd. He gets up in a sycamore tree. And Jesus, he didn't know Jesus was going to stop there. Jesus just stops there. Maybe he said a little prayer or something. I don't know. But Jesus looks at him and says, Zacchaeus knew his name. I believe that convicted him. Just like, remember, under the, another, a sycamore tree, another man, Nathan, remember? Nathaniel, Nathan, Nathaniel, same. Is he looked at him and he said, you know, you're a man without guile. And he talked about, you'll see angels going up and down the Son of Man because he had apparently been reading about Jacob and it blew him away and he got converted. I think, okay, I don't know for sure, but I think when he said Zacchaeus, it was like, boom, he's the Messiah. You know why? And now you know why I think it convicted him? You know what Zacchaeus means? The name Zacchaeus means? Means pure. Means righteous. And he was anything but pure or righteous, amen? Almost like when Jesus said Judas, and he said, well, he said, friend, you betray me. I believe that was meant to be convicting. You betray me with a kiss? He was convicting him. Friend? You're supposed to be my friend? Zacchaeus, pure, but here I am. Because I'm the one you need. Just like the rich young ruler needed to know who he was, that he is God in the flesh. Zacchaeus needs to know that he's the Savior. Are you with me tonight, today? Yeah. And that hit me. Like I thought I had my stuff. I, I go, and it just hit me. I was like, wow. I believe that's what you're saying there, Lord. He knows each of our names, Amen. It's a powerful thing. He knows your name. He knows all about you. What a powerful, awesome, wonderful God. Now, he calls him by his name. That's his name, but that's not how he is. That would break his parents' hearts, you would think, right? That he turned out this way. Mom and dad, I'm here. You're here. I haven't seen you so long. Yeah, you owe a lot of back taxes. You know, or how, or maybe he didn't do that. I don't know how bad he was, but he was not very good. Uh, now, I noticed too, and I thought, no, this isn't true. A lot of commentators say, well, Zacchaeus, this is the, they'll point out, you know, a lot of preachers, of, this is the first time Jesus ever invited himself into any, or the only time Jesus ever invited himself into somebody else's house. And it sounds like everybody, yeah, yeah, I don't think so. There's another example. See if you can think about it. It's the first time, the only time, well, he walked in the Pharisee's house, but this is the only time that he said, hey, I'm coming to your house, or I want to go to your house, you know. 
So, and it's kind of a, a, a trick kind of thing because you're going to have a hard time finding it. But if you do, because it hit me when I, I've read that, you know, I'm like, mm, I've heard that over and over again. I'm like, mm. in the past I thought about it. No, it's not the only time, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Now, it's interesting because uh, <laughs> there's a lot going on here. Look at verse 6 and 7 now. Zacchaeus, hurry home down, uh, verse 5, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your home or your house. Verse 9, and he hurried and came down and received him gladly. I love this about Zacchaeus, man. This guy loves the Lord, man. He's already thinking, man, he's probably convicted of his sin. He's hearing about Jesus. It's true, you know, and that's why, you know, now he's got riches, but guess what? He's recognizing he has a need. A lot of the rich don't come to Christ because they don't recognize they have a need, Amen. He recognizes that he's not pure, as you're going to see in a minute. And he doesn't just run, and then he climbs a sycamore tree, and he's checking out Jesus, and Jesus stops and calls him by his name, Zacchaeus, righteous one, pure. <laughs> and then he hurries down, and he receives him gladly. Wow. Verse 7, when they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, he has gone to be a guest of a man who was a sinner. He didn't just go. He invited himself. So they're complaining, who? The crowd, they're complaining. He's gone to go be, you know, hang out with a guy that's a sinner, you know? Well, look at verse 10. We're gonna jump ahead. We'll jump back in a minute. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is what? Was lost. Yeah, of course. It's who he came to save, lost. He says, it's not the righteous that need repentance, Jesus said, but it's the sinners. And if we're all honest, we're all sinners that need repentance and need to come to Jesus. So he's seeking to save that which is lost. But they're all complaining. How could he love such a person? And you know what's a trip about that? I love this because Jesus loves everyone. The Bible says God's not partial. Amen? Isn't that good news? Aren't you glad he's not partial? Oh, I only love people with, with brown eyes. Or only love people. What if he only loved people with green eyes? You know? Or only love people with blue eyes? We'd all, a lot of us be in trouble. The Bible says over and over again in the Old and the New Testament, God is not partial. In fact, in Romans chapter 11, long before you get to Romans chapter 9, it's established that he's not partial and that salvation is for the Jew and also for the Gentile. In fact, in the first few verses of Romans chapter 2, after Paul condemns the Gentiles because they've given their bodies over to men with men, women with women, and all kinds of depravity and idolatry, and then the Jews are like, yeah, we're not living like that. And then Paul says, but you're guilty too. But he says, God's not partial. Salvation's for, in verse 11, 9 through 11, for the Jew and also the Gentile. In fact, he says to them that you're just like them. You're breaking God's moral law. You need to be saved by grace, which sets up the book of Romans. And then he tells them, you know, he tells them it's God's kindness that leads you to repentance. It's his kindness that leads you to repentance. But in your stubborn, rebellious heart, you know, he talks about how they reject that kindness and they're storing up wrath for themselves in the day of wrath. So don't tell me, and the, the Bible says God's kindness leads us to repentance. Right there, it's his kindness that leads you to repentance. Right? Repentance brings salvation. Don't tell me God doesn't want them to be saved. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would gather together your children's hen desert chicks, but you were unwilling. That's God's heart as far as salvation. If you're damned, it's not because God doesn't love you or he's partial. You're damned because you reject the grace of God. And that's why Romans 1 says they're without excuse. Okay? And Romans, in 2 Thessalonians 2, it talks about those who refuse to receive the love of the truth. It's because of your own refusal to be saved. And in Luke chapter 7, verse 30, it talks about the scribes and lawyers set aside God's 
purpose for themselves, refusing to be baptized by John. John chapter 1 says that uh, John came baptizing that through him all would be saved because he was a light to the greater light, John 1, 9, Jesus who enlightens the heart of everyone that comes into the world. Amen? So they, they rejected God's purpose for themselves, Luke 7, 30, and refusing to be baptized by John. You could reject God's purpose for you regarding salvation, but God's still sovereign. You know why? Because if you reject his, his plan of salvation for you, well, he has another plan. And, the wrath of, and even the wrath of man will praise him, and he'll use his judgment to get glory to show his righteousness. Amen? Because God's sovereign. So either way, he's ultimately in control, but he offers everybody salvation genuinely. And he loved this guy and wanted to spend time. I, I think it's so cool how just this guy that people thought was a scum of the earth, right, who was actually probably guilty of some heinous crimes, which we're going to see in a moment, it looks like it. And guess what? He loves him so much still. Yeah, he loved him, but he didn't love the rich young ruler because he wasn't one of the elect. Wrong. Because we read of the rich young ruler in Mark 10, 21. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him. He loved the rich young ruler too. He loves all of us. So no, nobody, don't walk around thinking, maybe God doesn't love me. Maybe Jesus didn't die for me. No, man, the grace of God is so awesome. Amen. It's so wonderful. It's so much more beautiful than this idea that he only loves a few people. The question is whether you receive his love or not. Whether you'll turn to him or not. That's the question. And if we're not saved in the end, it's because of, it's our fault. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, it says that Jesus is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. See, he's provided salvation for everyone. But those who have salvation or receive it are those who believe and put their trust in him. Amen? So it's pretty heavy what's going on here. And if you go ahead now and you pick it up uh, at verse 8, Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. Wow. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will what? Give back four times as much. Now the law specified in Exodus chapter 22 verse 1 for instance, if you stole somebody's four, or you stole just one of their sheep, right? And then you butchered it, and then you sold it to other people to make money, you didn't just have to give back one sheep, you had to give back four. Four sheep you have to give back. And his reference is the law, and he wants to make sure his heart's right with God. Amen? Now, it's not doing that that'll save him, but it does show a repentant heart, doesn't it? Shows that he wants to be right with God. It's only Christ that will save him, though. And by the way, you remember David? He committed adultery with Bathsheba. She got pregnant. He's like, oh, no. So he sends for one of his, uh, one, Uriah, who was listed as one of the mighty men, by the way, and sends him back and tries to get him to sleep with his wife so it looks like he didn't do it, and he won't. He, I'm not going to sleep with her. My countrymen are, are fighting the war, man. I'm just going to sleep outside the palace until you tell me to go back. He tries to get him, get him drunk. Drink, 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 drink. So, because when, when you get drunk, that's why the Bible says don't be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, right? Trying to get him to loosen him up so he can give in to, give in to this desire. It wouldn't even be a sin to be with his wife. And he still won't do it. Contrasting the righteousness of Uriah with David, who had fallen, right? And then Nathan the prophet, sometime later, and he has Uriah killed. He sends him to the front line and has him killed to cover him up. And then what happens? Nathan the prophet 
points at him and says, he tells him first a story, a parable, remember? There's a rich man, right? And he had all the, he had a bunch of sheep and everything else, but there's a poor man that he knew who had just one little pet lamb that laid at the bottom of his bed. He stole that lamb and he butchered it for his friends when he came. What does Jesus say? Or I'm sorry, what did Nathan say? When he said that, what did David say? David became enraged. What in the world? He goes, man, he's going to pay four times fold, man. Death, all this stuff. And, and Nathan's like, thou art the man. Now, in Psalm chapter 51, God forgives him because he repents after that. You know, cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me, you know. I repent, you know. He cries for mercy. But guess what? Four of his sons, not one. He killed one man, Uriah. He loses uh, the son of, well, Bathsheba that she's pregnant with. And then he loses three others, fourfold, right? Well, guess what? Zacchaeus is like, hey, I'm going I'm to pay back four times if I've taken anything from anybody. Verse 9, and Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Today what? Salvation, salvation has come to this house. Praise God. Because he too is a son of Abraham. And Jesus was correcting a false view which a lot of the Jews had, just like we have today by people that aren't following the Lord and think they're saved. A lot of the Jews, because they were children of Abraham, by physical birth, thought they were right with God and saved. And Jesus said in John chapter 8, he said, you say that you're children of Abraham, but you're trying to kill me. And he said, you are your father, the devil, right? And in Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist said, bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance to the Pharisees who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. The axe already laid to the tree and every tree that doesn't bear fruit will be thrown in the fire. Don't say you have Abraham as your, as your father for God is able from these very stones to rise up children of Abraham. So it's this idea that's being corrected that just because you're a Jew, you're not saved. And same thing, just because you live in America and the gospel is so many places, it doesn't save you. Just because you go and visit a church, you're not saved. You, just because you know what the Bible says, you're not saved. You have to have a relationship with Jesus. Amen. You have to embrace him as your Lord and Savior Amen. and trust and follow him. Amen? Verse, four, verse 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. It's really heavy when you think of this because it, it, it's really, really powerful there's certain awesome things about Zacchaeus that I think we need to make sure that are in our lives, right? Is he was like a child. He became childlike. It was uncustomary for a, a man, especially a rich tax gatherer, to run. Yet he runs. He probably was used to people poking fun at him because he was very short. And he's like, I can care less. I want to see him. He runs. He climbs a tree. How many of you men, grown men, climb trees and check things out? Just not common. He gets down quickly with gladness. Here's an excitement that he has. And Jesus said, listen to this. If you want to get saved, listen to what he said in chapter 18, verse 1 through following of Matthew. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called the child to himself and set him before them and said, truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. We won't even enter the kingdom of heaven unless we become children. It doesn't mean become childish, okay? It means that you have a childlike heart before God and that you realize he's God, you're not, and that you humble yourself before him. God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. Amen? And I love it because Zacchaeus, this little, this wee little guy, becomes this big guy because he wants to follow the Lord. He wants to do what's right. He wants to be a giver now instead of a taker. Amen? It's beautiful. Now, it's interesting, too, is 
When I mentioned in verse 5, let's go back there. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. When I said it's commentators and preachers like to point out this is the only place that Jesus invited himself into someone's home, I'd say, no, there's a one other place. Go to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. And go ahead and pick it up at verse 14. You have a very rich church who has no room for Jesus, don't think they have any needs. And we read in verse 14, to the angel of church in Laodicea write, the amen, the faithful, true witness and beginning of the creation of God says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. What a warning to be spit out of the body of Christ. I wish I had time to get in all this, but I don't. But next week, if you go to Massachusetts, we're going through the seven churches, and that's one of the churches I have. So if you can make it. Kind of plan. I've done the churches already. You can go hear old messages and so forth. And, but verse 17, because you say I am rich. Woo, man, there it is. I am rich and I have become wealthy and have need of what? Nothing. That's why it's harder for rich man to get in that kingdom of heaven. But these guys are in the church. And these guys are, are the Lord's children. How do I know that? Well, let's keep reading. I have need of nothing, but they become hard-hearted. And you do not know that you are wretched. They don't know that they're wretched. This is how God, they look at themselves like, man, I'm a Christian. I go to the church of see it, man. It's the hip church, man. And, you know, it's a bit seeker sensitive, but man, hey, got good business dealings there. And their hearts are cold. They don't rely on Jesus anymore. He says, you don't know that you're wretched and you're miserable and you're poor and you're blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see they're blind by their riches, okay? They need to get gold, which comes from really being tried by the Lord, right? And, and, and going through things and not using your riches to mask your walk with Jesus, but truly entering and pressing on in him. Verse 19, those whom I love, what? Are reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. And if those are the same words. He's quoting the Proverbs, also in Hebrews chapter 12, of how God treats his children. As many as I love, I rebuke and and chasten, right? And he says, if you're not a child, that won't happen. So he's dealing with children of God who become very lukewarm and are in very serious danger here. Because guess what? They put Jesus outside their church. There's all kinds of churches like that today where Jesus is outside the church. It's about social programs. It's about the social gospel rather than about Jesus and salvation. Verse 20. Here's where he invites himself into somebody else's home. The second time in scripture. Behold, I stand at the door and what? And knock. Although they're not necessarily as welcoming as Zacchaeus in a church. A tax gatherer, the contrast again. Isn't that heavy? This floored me. I probably wouldn't have even thought about this in this way if I hadn't been uh, studying the churches again, you know. I'm like, wow. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him. Sup with him in the King James and he with me. Isn't that beautiful? Paul prayed in chapter 3, verse 17 of Ephesus, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. He's praying to the church of Ephesus, who will leave its first love, that Christ would dwell in their hearts. Now, he lives in the hearts of true believers, amen, but you can get away from him, okay? And right here, the church of Laodicea got away from him. And he's knocking, saying, can I come back in my church? I want to sup with you. 
And that word dwell, by the way, that Christ would dwell in your heart, is the same word that's used of, in, in, in chapter 18, or 19, verses 1 through 10, of Zacchaeus. Jesus invited himself <laughs> to dwell in Zacchaeus' house. And Jesus is knocking, inviting himself into the church's house. And then we read in closing, see, if you let Jesus in your home, you let him be Lord of your life, and you follow him, Guess what? That's salvation, amen? And guess what? You get to go to his home. That's a good deal. It's free. In fact, it's free because when he comes in, it's not what you give him. It's what he gives you, eternal life, amen? As soon as you invite him in, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And then in verse 21, he who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In other words, guess what? This isn't just for the church of Laodicea. This is for any church and any professing Christian who the Lord is reproving and rebuking, saying, hey, I want back in. Open your heart back up to me. And every church needs to say, Jesus, you need not just be a guest. We want to dine with you. We want to have the bread of life. We want to uh, be satiated only in your bread and only in the water that flows from you and your salvation, amen? amen. And Jesus is being enthroned as Lord of each church because in the churches, he is the one who walks amidst the candlesticks or the lampstands, amen? And these guys have said, mm, no, and he's knocking. What about you? Are the things of this world, are you just saying, hey, I'm a Christian, but you're miserable, you're blind, you're poor, you're, you're naked, you know, you're wretched, and you need to repent then and say, God, have mercy on me. If you're not saved, you've never been a child of God, you need to get right and embrace Jesus because he knocks on all of our hearts. He says, if any man. Some say, oh, that's only for the church. Yeah, well, I've to see a no. It's to all the churches. Well, it's not to non-believers at all. Well, no, I think there's some non-believers at churches too that come in, right? So I think it can apply to non-believers too. Checkmate, okay? He knocks on our hearts. Amen. Amen. And he wants to enter in. So if you have Jesus, as many as received him, he gave the right to become the children of God and you're trusting him, you're a child of God, amen? And we just need to grow. But if you're like doing your own thing, living for yourself, but going to church, man, the Bible says don't harden your hearts to where you don't hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. I thought that was Jesus. It's Jesus and the Spirit because it says he hasn't let him hear what the Spirit says to the church, amen? Lord's knocking on your heart right now, maybe. Turn to him and embrace him as your Lord and Savior. If you reject him, You'll be separated from him forever and ever and lost for all eternity. But if you embrace him as your Lord and Savior and say, Jesus, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. You'll have eternal life. Well, are you making a distinction between those who have received Christ and then turned away and, and the lost who've never came to Christ? Well, if you're lost, you never came to Christ, I talked to you. You need to embrace Jesus Christ. Recognize he died for your sins. He paid for them on the cross. He rose from the dead. If you confess him as your Lord and Savior, he said, whoever comes to me, I won't cast away. You'll be saved. Amen. If you're saved, but you fell away, James 5, 19 and 20, brethren, if any of you turn from the truth and one converts him back, he'll save a soul from death and hide a multitude of sins. Isaiah chapter 5, or chapter 55, verse 6 and 7. It says that we're to call on the Lord while he's near, amen? Seek him while he may be found, okay? And it says, let the wicked man forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord, amen, and that he will abundantly pardon. He will have mercy upon him and abundantly pardon him. He'll accept me back. He won't just accept you back. 
He'll abundantly pardon you. There will be a party in heaven. There'll be rejoicing in God's heart among the angels because the prodigal son, when he came back, that's a picture. God threw him a party, amen. That'll make God's heart so excited because he does love you and he wants to be with you forever, amen. So I encourage you right now, embrace Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and receive the gift of eternal life, amen. If you're not saved, and if you have been walking with him, or you've just been going to church and a professing Christian but not really walking with him, man, you need to get real and get right with Jesus. Invite him into your home so you can be in his home forever and ever. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Can we all please stand? We'll pass.